Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Today is a bit of a different episode, as we are partnering with the National Farmers Union, where I was invited to go and address their annual convention of 2,000 farmers and speak about the future of technology on farming. I have always long admired farmers and consider every farmer to be an entrepreneur. They have to be accountants, marketeers, product managers, and innovators. So it was a real pleasure to go to the ICC in Birmingham to see and meet the very best of British farming and to record this episode on what the next generation of farming looks like and understand more about what goes into the food that makes it onto our plates. The NFU represents close to 50,000 farming businesses and their purpose is to champion British agriculture and horticulture, to campaign for a stable and sustainable future for British farmers and to secure the best possible deal for them. They would often come in to lobby me when I was in number 10, as I recounted on stage. <laughs> um, Jimmy. Um, so I want to start by saying that, look, I think the NFU do a tremendous job. And the fact you've got George Eustace, former farmer, is an advantage. But, of course, you need to make the case uh, to the, the whole of government and so on. And that is what Terry and Minette did very well when I was in number 10, coming in and seeing me and making the case and explaining things largely as they were, as Minette did this morning, which is not the case, I can assure you, for all kind of business lobby groups. Um, and they didn't do, I don't say they did a good job just because Terry used to bring me a block of cheese to demonstrate British farming produce influence. <laughs> exactly. And there I'd be, getting back to my office afterwards, having to weigh the block of cheese and see how much on the website it would cost, because I was terrified that it'd be above the 12 pound declaration limit. <laughs> And I kid you not, I made this joke at the time, Sue Gray will come and frog march me down if it's not. Um, and so it seems rather closer to the truth now. I think they've got bigger problems in number 10 these days. But... <laughs> well, now we know where all the cheese went. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Farming has been hit by three massive shocks in the last few years, in the same way that we all have been. But particularly on farmers who are so reliant on external factors, they have been hit by more than most. You have Brexit, the pandemic, and now the energy crisis. They are also watching the war in Ukraine closely, as 30% of the world's exported wheat comes from either Ukraine or Russia. But they had to go on and plan for the future, as farmers always do. Point that Ian makes is that the resilience that you have shown over the last couple of years has been amazing. Particularly, you know, when the world stopped, doctors and farmers did not. You put food on the table of British people at one of the most hardest points to be able to do that. And so hats off to you. What we learned at the conference was that so much of modern farming is being focused on sustainability. They are very conscious about the environment and see themselves as the stewards of it. In her opening remarks, Minette Batters, the NFU president, said that farmers are the only working conservations at the scale we need. This makes sense, as agriculture accounts for 75% of the UK's land use. We sent our producer into the field, pardon the pun, to interview a range of farmers at the conference. And this episode is an audio essay using their interviews to answer the question that we asked all of them. How are you innovating for the future? You might have an image of a stereotypical farmer in your head that is perhaps not a million miles away from the way that Jeremy Clarkson looks and the way that he approaches it on Amazon Prime. But I can tell you 
The diversity and the future of British farming looks very, very different from the stereotype that you might have in your head, as these youngsters demonstrated. There are three main ways that farmers are innovating, and we've broken the episode down into three parts that reflect that. Science, technology, and experiments. So first of all, the science. We'll look at how farmers are using science to innovate. We start with Jess Langton, a 21-year-old farmer from Derbyshire. Jess exemplifies the kind of brilliant people who are working in farming and how revolutionising modern farming can be. She also has one of the most impressive CVs I've ever heard for a 21-year-old. Okay, so hi, I'm Jessica Langton. I'm a 21-year-old dairy farmer from Derbyshire. Um, and I also study BSc Animal Science at the University of Nottingham. And I'm in my third and final year of that. Um, I sit on the NFU Dairy Board as one of their appointees. And I'm also one of their student and young farmer ambassadors this year. And I work for Genus ABS as a reproduction management specialist alongside my degree. In terms of innovating for the future, I think the industry is pushing to be net zero by 2040. So therefore, we're adopting regenerative approaches on our farm and we're also adopting a lot of new technologies so one of those is the gene cell testing so this is where we genomically test all of our herd to get their genetic data and then as a dairy cow they produce somatic cells in their milk and the somatic cell count equates to whether or not they've got an infection so each month we used to milk record by taking one sample from each individual cow which is very time consuming now we just have to take one bulk, tam- bulk tank sample and this gives us the results for every single cow because of the genetic data and we can do this as regularly as we need to and therefore we can pick up infections as soon as they're prominent in the tank and within the herd and this is fantastic because it helps us reduce antibiotic duties on farm as we can detect them faster um, and with 12,000 deaths across the human population due to antibiotic resistance last year this is something that we're really keen on reducing on our farm. And thank you so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs. Uh, thank you very much. In our interviews, one term kept coming up, regenerative farming. But what is that exactly? Erin Fleur McNaught, a 19-year-old farmer from Wales, explains it brilliantly. With the regenerative side, we're looking into having no inputs, so no fertiliser, no feed, no chemicals, and less antibiotics. So those ticks a lot of boxes, like fertilization, the eutrophication of our rivers, um, feed, like importing soya beans from all over the world. It's, it's all a problem. So by cutting those uh, um, inputs out of the system, hopefully we can create a system that is more um, eco-friendly and definitely leading the way in our campaign to be more. Um, to be more net zero by 2040. Oh, and Erin also has another claim to fame. And I also train sheepdogs as well, so that's a hobby of mine. Um, uh, well, not just train sheepdogs, you're a champion. Well, yes, I was lucky to be crowned um, British champion in 2018 and also won the one man and his dog in 2019. So, yeah, the dogs have be, yeah, taken me a long way, which is uh, I'm very proud of them as well. So, regenerative farming is the idea of driving a sustainable future in agriculture. But what does it actually look like? Here's an example of it in action from James Johnson, a beef, sheep and arable farmer from North Yorkshire. 
So the idea of regenerative agriculture for us, looking at down creating healthy soils, is having um, a, root, a living root in the soil at all times, um, reducing how many cultivation we use on our arable land, reducing the amount of artificial inputs such as nitrogen fertilisers and chemicals, and using that as a livestock as a way of managing these. So take for example our oilseed rape crop we, we grew this year. We didn't just plant a standard monoculture of oilseed rape we put uh, crimson and bursine clover in there to provide nitrogen and rooting abilities and we also put buckwheat in there so we didn't have to spray um, for a insecticide because a buckwheat camouflaged the oilseed rape from flea beetle and then as part of that as going moving on forward is obviously you're in the winter you always get that disease build up on the leaves so rather than going through and spending money on a fungicide we graze it with sheep so we put the sheep over it and the uh, sheep graze all of the disease leaf off and turn that disease leaf into organic meals which feed your soils and all your microbiology and produce a nice clean healthy oilseed rape crop. So as you can see, regenerative farming is complex and innovative. Using sheep instead of fungicides is an ingenious method. But not all farmers agreed on the term. Let's hear Tom Rees, a sixth generation arable farmer from Pembrokeshire in Wales. Um, at the moment I'm doing a lot of work with regenerative farming but I kind of don't like that as a buzzword as regenerative farming because although I think it's important to sort of single out what we're doing I'm much more um, aware that actually regenerative farming really is just good farming, it's good farming practice and that's what I think will secure our future is looking after your core values which is your soil um, and the environment around it you know making sure that we're caring for all the biodiversity and the micro environments that our farm provides and then that will set you up so that when things come along and innovation is there you can make the most of it. The second part of the science that really stood out was the heritage in these innovative young farmers. Erin was the fourth generation. Tom's family had been farming for over 150 years in the same field. Given regenerative farming is opting away from modern chemical use, it occurred to us, aren't we just going back to old school farming techniques? But Tom put it in simple terms. I think really for me, innovating for the future is actually about looking at the past as well. So I've always been a firm believer in listening to those um, older farmers who know uh, a lot of things about our soil, our countryside and what we do. The second theme that came up was the technology and the engineering side. Some farmers are taking a different approach to sustainable farming. Whilst we've heard how the practicalities of growing crops and livestock are being innovated, there are others investing into technology and engineering to build resilience into their businesses. This is Edward Duval, a farmer from Hampshire who is turning crops into energy using a machine that he describes that works a bit like a cow's stomach. 
uh, we have gone down the route of uh, energy production. So we are turning crops into energy using anaerobic digestion, which is effectively a big concrete cow stomach. And from that we make gas and we make electricity. And we've been doing this since about 2012, uh, where we've been sort of producing enough for 2,000 houses all year round. And then in 2014, we um, added another process to our step where we uh, convert the gas into natural gas, and that we've been doing 8,500 houses for uh, every year since 2014. What was interesting to us was how jobs in agriculture can change. So uh, in 2011 we had one employee on the farm and now we have uh, over 35 uh, on the farm, all very technical uh, jobs and we've sort of upskilled a lot of our employees to be able to work with um, effectively a large factory operation. There's also the, the haulage side that we've added to our business and very techy farming as well uh, with uh, modern sort of foragers etc and that we capture the data and make sure that we are optimising uh, the yields and performance of um, every acre that's worked on. Engineering degree students may not envisage working on a farm originally, but if Edward's farm is anything to go by, that will not be so far-fetched in the coming years as the pace of adoption continues to accelerate. The final theme that came up was experiments, and this is probably the most similar to the usual ways that entrepreneurs on this show talk about. They are experimenting and taking risks. We all know that taking risks is part of the entrepreneurial journey. You have to leap at some point. And as farming is inherently entrepreneurial and fraught with risk, it's perhaps unsurprising we also find farmers going out on a limb. But taking into account how long these farmers and their ancestors have been cultivating their land, often the same crops on the same land, taking an experiment is a very difficult thing to do. Here's Kathy Case, a farmer in West Devon, whose family has been growing cauliflowers for over a century. To preempt this clip, a technical term for you is tillage. Tilling is the process of preparing the soil for growth, a crucial stage that turns over the soil on the fields ready for the seeds. We heard from the science section how crucial soil is in the process of going green. Healthy soil means fewer artificial fertilisers. It's the basis for the whole process. So let's hear from Kathy about her understandable nervousness in changing a process that had been successful for more than a century. The thing that we're really innovating with and testing for our farm this summer will be trying to progress to a more minimum tillage system of growing our cauliflowers. So we've bought, invested in some new technologies and discs that we'll be able to put in cover crops with and add also um, a new strip tiller, which will be a way of... A new one, sorry? Strip tiller. Okay. So it will be a way of just cultivating a strip through the ground rather than the whole field which should create less soil movement, it should be beneficial for worms. Um, it's a gamble for us as to whether we'll be able to get the weed control that we need in our organic system because it, it, we don't know that it's definitely going to work, you know, whether we're going to create a new problem we haven't thought about. But it's just really important that we try all new technologies and try different ways of doing things. Um, we've always grown cauliflowers, for over 100 years our family's grown cauliflowers. However, this is doing it totally differently than we've ever done it before. So I'm really excited, um, but also a little bit cautious as to how successful it's going to be. Experiments can take form in the more traditional science methods too. 
Rob Atkin, a predominantly arable farmer from the West Midlands, runs experiments in the use of fertiliser, partnering with a research group. But what if it all goes wrong? Do you end up losing the crop for an entire year? That's exactly what we asked him. So, especially with the fertiliser one, if we refer to that, um, not last year, the year before, we had a very, very wet winter uh, and didn't come very dry until spring and then we had the drought. So when we were in the first lockdown, it was like 30 degrees in May and June, wasn't it? So we didn't get potential uptake of nitrogen, which then was reducing yield. So we obviously put the high costs into that and the trial, but we couldn't get sufficient data from it because climate factors affected that. So yeah, definitely, you, you need a perfect perfect year to grow things and do trials but getting them at the minute is <laughs> few and far between so yeah farmers are taking risks because they have to they need to be more sustainable and if they do nothing they're doomed anyway so they've got to take the leap in summary our question to the young farmers was how are you innovating for the future and we discovered there is a huge drive and desire to innovate into sustainability, particularly the younger farmers, who are excited to take control of their futures in a way that's beneficial for everyone. But there's a really interesting link here about why the drive to be sustainable is so powerful. It sits at the intersection of everything we discuss on this show. Sustainable farming requires fewer inputs, healthier soil retains the nutrients, and doesn't need the chemicals on top. And very simply, a business with fewer input costs is going to create more profit. A major point of the discussion from the conference was inflation. Something that stuck with me is that farmers are experiencing three-digit inflation on some of their inputs. Let me say that again. Three-digit inflation in excess of 100% inflation costs doubling the price of some inputs on every single year. One of those is artificial fertiliser, a particular chemical called ammonium nitrate. The world's largest producer of that is Russia. Farming is at the whim of a list of external factors, such as the Great British weather. But in the path to sustainability is the potential to remove global supply chains from that list. Sustainable farming, therefore, has three key benefits in increasing orders of magnitude. It makes it cheaper for the farmers. It means more independence for UK agriculture. And finally, it's better for the planet. But it's that first point that is most important. That kickstarting this whole process is it's financially better to be sustainable and therefore reduces the costs for consumers as well. The president of the NFU, Minette Batters, in her opening speech, touches on this exact point when it comes to profit and how farmers need to be able to do it. Now, I do want to talk about something which seems to be viewed by some as a dirty word, profit. Of course, it's not a dirty word for farmers, it's essential. But increasingly, I get the impression that farmers are not expected to want to make any profit that they should somehow be running environmental charities. As I've already said, we have some of the most affordable food in the world. Our ambition should continue to be that we can produce high quality food for everyone, regardless of income, and act as environmental stewards of the countryside. And it's that profit which is driving the whole process. Farming is a low-margin business, 
but being the stewards of their own environment is allowing them to innovate into sustainability, both for their livelihoods and ours. Farmers are a set of incredibly impressive entrepreneurs who deserve our help and support. Because as I said at the conference, when the world stopped for the pandemic, doctors and farmers took up their tools to make sure that we got through it. Thank you to the National Farmers Union for partnering with this episode and inviting us to Birmingham. It was a brilliant day meeting some fantastic British farmers and sampling some great British produce as well. I'll definitely go back just for the lunch next year. I've got two brilliant podcasts to share with you this week. The first is by one of the farmers, Rebecca Wilson. Her podcast is called Boots and Heels. And here's Rebecca talking about it. It's a podcast um, called Boots and Heels. I am the boots of the duo coming from a farming background. And my co-host, Lizzie McLaughlin, is the heels of the duo. So she's still involved in agriculture, but she has a more office-based role. And we're really trying to show that no background should be a barrier to farming. And the roles in farming are, are, are massive, not just not just a farmer standing out in, in his field, you know, with a crook and a flat cap. You can be, you know, you can have a degree, you can have gone to college, you can be doing an apprenticeship and the roles are so diverse and you know if farming doesn't embrace diverse people to fill these roles we're doing ourselves a disservice. It's a really great show and proved invaluable into me learning more about the process of modern farming. Another is from our good friends at 40 Minute Mentor hosted by JBM's James Mitra. James is on a mission to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs by making mentorship more accessible and celebrating the careers of some of the most influential business leaders. 14-Minute Mentor is now back for their seventh series, and I'd love to recommend a special episode featuring Christian Facey, the founder of Audiobot. On the podcast, he talks about his jump into entrepreneurship, including how working at companies like Google and Facebook were the foundations for building his skill set, as well as some candid advice for any co-founders out there. Working on podcasts is an entirely new section of the economy and there are lots of different ways. But if you want to reach an audience of tens of thousands of people, do get in touch with the team at hello at jobsofthefuture.co and we can talk about what could be the most impactful way for our listeners and for you to get your message across.